the fire industry has this saying fire service is 200 years of tradition unimpeded by progress and they like to joke about that it's something that i don't find to be true i think what they're looking for is give me something of value and give me something like different than just the same thing repackaged and you won't find a more emphatic and open-minded and also more challenging customer and partners to have than first responders and roadway workers and those folks out on the road. Welcome to The Bike Lane. I'm your host, Jake Siegel. With us today is Corey Haas, CEO and co-founder of Haas Alert. Corey is dedicated to saving lives using connected transportation and smart infrastructure solutions. Corey co-founded Haas Alert, the company behind Safety Cloud, a connected safety service for emergency and roadway fleets that prevent collisions through embedded navigation and automotive alert. To date, Safety Cloud has processed more than 1 billion driver alerts and is trusted by nearly 2,000 public and private fleets nationwide, including police, fire, EMS, utility, towing, construction, school buses, waste and sanitation, safety patrols, and other roadway vehicles. They are also deployed nationwide in Stellantis vehicles in 2018 and newer models and some of the most recognized vehicle brands, including Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, and Ram. Corey, welcome to the bike lane. Thanks, Jake. Excited to be here. Quite the intro. Yeah, well, it, it's it's been a couple months since since we've been on. We took a, a nice holiday break, and uh, man, a lot has happened. So before we get into all sorts of interesting topics in today's show, we're going to cover CES, yeah. the Transportation Research Board, all of the technology that's been cooked up in labs for the last two years that all showed up. Uh, let, let's start out first. Let, let's talk about your background and, and how you, you co-founded the company. I mean, let, let's talk about how you first got into this role with uh, with Haas. So used to work at Navtech, which is now known as Here Maps, um, was there over a decade with some folks. And the, the whole jumping off point of the business was around, I almost got struck and killed by an ambulance um, while I was working at, uh, at Here on my way to work. And, um, you know, we really started to look at how we could, it was a very narrow kind of niche <laughs> niche focus of how do we get emergency vehicles to talk to cars? And that that was kind of the part of the challenge on the technical side. At this time, it was before connected vehicles, you know, before we're, the world that has sort of come and, and where it's going with AVs. So it was a challenge. And uh, funny enough, in the, the first iteration of our technology was all acoustic based. So we were actually listening for sirens on vehicles using mic channels. And we had this whole microphone on the car and uh, we pivoted to the technology that we use today. But I I had had an opportunity to leave Navtech and uh, grab some co-founders and said, hey, this is a, a huge problem on the roadway. And I think this is something that we can go go tackle and solve. Um, it was supposed to only take us two years, <laughs> so I think we had, it was supposed to be a lot faster to get this done, but, um, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. So it's been a, been a great, you know, great few years as, as we've looked to tackle this problem of, um, uh, what once was just looked at as how do we get emergency vehicles to talk to cars and then ultimately helping solve a, a bigger safety problem for, for all of V2X when we think about connected roadways. Love the love the story on that. And I can tell you for all of the guests that we've had in, on, the, on the show, one thing that's very unique is a, a personal story, whether it was, it was the individual or, or someone very close to them. And um, that passion shows up. And whether it's from the our automotive friends or our, our V2X people, the ITS people, like everybody's got that 
that same shared mission of safer roadways. And I mean, that's why I do what I do it's as, a, as a passionate cyclist and I get it. And the, the more we, we, we talk to people, it does feel like it's a, it's a common bond across business conversations that even we get heated debates on um, at the time it was DSRC versus CVX, which is now thankfully, yeah. th- and we'll talk about that. We're going to hold that point till to the CS discussion, but thankfully we've got a resolution there, but um, the, the passions there. And uh, so Corey, you and I met, tech stars. And I was like one of the the few people in that organization that was from Detroit and had, had an accident automotive. But I mean, you guys were like the, the gem of, of the class. I mean, great companies obviously there, but when Ted Serbinski started that, that group up when, and Ford Motor called me and said, Hey, we're doing uh tech stars and mobility Detroit, uh, which by the way, feels like it was 20 years ago. What, what was your experience like yeah. starting your business and, and finding your groove in Detroit? Cause like you guys are, you guys are from Chicago, right? So, I mean, you're not that far away, but man, it's a totally different world coming into the motor city. Yeah, absolutely. Actually. So, so Ted rejected us the first time for tech stars. He said, you're not far enough along and this is a very hard problem to solve. But actually what he told us, is he said, you know, get, get a little more traction um, and find, you know, there's, there's an agency in Michigan uh, or a firm in Michigan that I'd love to introduce you to because it sounds like you have hardware and it's called Seamless. And so we actually went and worked with the group of Seamless that actually helped us develop our very first IoT connected device. And then we wound up applying into Techstars and getting in, which was you know an incredible opportunity for us. And actually my co-founder had just had a, a baby and then we found out we got into Techstars and had to spend a bunch of time in Detroit. So you know, as, as will happen starting a business, things come, you know, from all, all sides. What was great about coming to Detroit from Chicago, having a, a business focused on automotive was you, you felt way more at, you know, I'll say at home, but you felt way more just surrounded by like colleagues and you felt way more surrounded by folks that think they, you know, are trying to solve the same problems that, you know, think like you, that a lot more, it's easy to find some, to find yourself in a conversation about the future of automotive, just, you know, with, with uh, various businesses that you may be meeting with. We're in Chicago, you know, obviously it's not the center of automotive. Um, so it, it's, it, it was, it was really enlightening and I felt much, we felt much more comfortable uh, landing in Detroit and, you know, we're still today. I mean, I know, um, you know, how many years ago that was, but, uh, really grateful we had the opportunity to to really get our our feet wet in um, in TechStars uh, and especially in the Motor City. It was it was it was really awesome and and really helped pave the way for where we are today. And and if if I remember the timing, we were sort of in the fits of DSRC back then. So even even with all of that engineering and policy and all the stuff that was going on. For, for tech stars to say, despite all of that and seeming like this problem may be solved, there's a company that wants to solve it in a different way. And we're going to bring them into this program and let's see what they can do. So I thought, you know, going out on a ledge and, and you know, taking that 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 risk, um, and especially with the automotive manufacturers that were um, part of that cohort that, that had to interview us to even get in the program, everybody, you know, to me, it was a message that we're still teetering on some other opportunities. So I was glad we were able to get in. Yeah, bringing disruption in was was fantastic, and um, you know I can't say enough about Ford's support for continued innovation and um, like just the yeah. experience that that I had and 
going through that ranging from partnership and the acquisition process in 2013 and then seeing a, a more more um, said process for uh, that approach for bringing startups into the automotive and mobility ecosystem so uh, fundraising. So you guys are VC backed. Um, quick plug. Uh, I, I totally small world, but one of my best friends and mentors, Bob Struble at, at Blue Ventures, uh, is in the business. And and um, you know, I was talking to him about a, a company I met at TechStars, and uh, he's like, "Oh yeah, you know, Corey." I'm like, "Yeah, this, this is fantastic." And you know, I just it just kind of shows the the small world we live in. So like with the with the VC process, uh, how did you find that uh, working in the the space you're in. I mean, clearly it's disruption, but it is complicated. So like, like what, how did you guys work through that? And you guys have clearly like took off like a rocket ship at this point, but you know, not too, too long ago, I'm sure it feels like forever ago for you as well, but like you were going through that, that process. So how, how did that go for you? I mean, look, founders were always raising. So I've, I wouldn't say it's, we're definitely not out of the weeds yet, but um, you know, we're well on our way, you know, the fundraising process, um, you know, it, it's it's a slog, like everybody says, but it also really helps you refine what you're building because you hear so many, you know, I don't think for folks that aren't out pitching investors all day, I mean, the, the sheer volume of investors that you wind up pitching, you know, you read the stuff on TechCrunch and it sounds like, you know, they make the article sound like, oh, some, the, the entrepreneur went out, made a couple pitches and landed $10 million. It's not typically the, the normal story. It's, um tens, if not, you know, over a hundred investors that you're pitching, finding those that truly believe in, in the mission and the vision and what, and what you're building. It's, uh, you know, some of the investors that you hear know of in the, the early days for first check wind up becoming some of your biggest investors or supporters later on. And you, you know, once somebody invests, I mean, obviously they believe in what you're doing, but you know, you're, you're with them for years years and so they're along you know coming along with you helping solve problems helping clear the path helping you get into rooms that would be harder for you to get into and finding somebody you know blue ventures with with bob struble is one of our, our first investors and you know the support along the way um they're not located in detroit but but they're just belief in the mission and the vision and, and seeing this huge problem that needed to be tackled um you know and and for once they're once they've 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 placed that bet on you, you know they're there ups and downs. No matter how bad things get, I mean the even you know obviously everybody going through COVID, you know really showing the the commitment that um, investors had to show to their companies on on how they could help not just financially but even just the support of all sorts of things that were you know obviously burning to the ground at that time. So um, it, it's a slog, but. It's, it's like when you get an investor and they're so excited about what you're doing and they're so excited about what you're building, there's no better partner to have through the good times and the bad times because they, they're, they're just part of the business. I mean, they're just part of you and they're, they're excited for your wins, their losses suck, but then it's like, all right, well, let's, what do we do next? And they really become sort of this, you know, attachment to, to not just you and the company, but you know, all, all your employees. So um, and we try to keep a close relationship between our investors, our advisors, our board um, with the business and, and folks in, in our company. We like people to meet the, the team and um, all of that helps to, to really get everybody on the same side of the table pushing towards that common vision where you don't have people going off in different directions. Yeah, it's uh, it's very consistent amongst other successful entrepreneurs that that we know about um, those relationships and, and those partnerships. So, um, you know, now that I've gone through two of these myself, like I, I can tell you that it, it's, um, 
it's just, it's all about the relationships and putting people ahead of money. And, um, and that, and, you know, the irony with, with both of our businesses is that we put people ahead of money in the boardroom as well as, uh, out on the roads. So like when it comes to like our mission for, for products, let's talk about safety for a little bit. So Haas has been leading the way, uh, on the topic for first responder safety, but I, I find it even more interesting that people that go to your website and when you talk to customers, it's, you know, you're talking about like all these, I mean, you know, school buses, you know, like, like safety patrols, like all these different groups that are, are passing alerts, but, but you've also led the way from a technology perspective with VitaX messages and doing that over LTE. So how have you leveraged LTE to get your service to billions? When I, when I first saw this, I was like billions. I was like, wow, that's, that's a lot of messages. That might be more messages than any other, like the aggregate of all other DSRC and CV2X combined. And obviously there's, there's new technologies coming and we're going to see that, that proliferate, but like you guys hit billions of messages sent and, and like, how did you get to that point? And like of the tech perspective of switching a conversation for 15 years on DSRC to, Hey guys, like, like LTE works. So like, how did you guys go about that? Look, we're, we're really technology agnostic and, and, you know, looking back, it's always easier to look back, right? The, the folks that, that paved the way for how vehicles will communicate was, was critically important because it opened up the industry, the conversation and put a framework around how we think about uh, how our transportation network needs to communicate. So, um, you know, it's that we didn't ever saw ourselves so much as like pitted against DSRC, but it was because we weren't coming to solve this problem from a standard standpoint, we weren't trying to ram everybody's like our standard kind of ram it down everyone's throat. We weren't trying to force car manufacturers to do something. We weren't trying to get the federal government to require our very specific proprietary technology. We came at it from I'm on the ground riding in a fire truck and the, the chief is telling me that two weeks ago they had one of their firefighters struck and killed. That, that's the side that we're coming at it from. So we don't necessarily care how, the, how that message got delivered. But at the time, we said, if we're going to solve the problem, we have to solve the problem of those that we're, we're trying to solve the problem for, which is those that are most vulnerable on the road. And that is the first responders, utility, towing, work zone, construction, you know, all the folks that we find. And what's amazing about it is those folks are in every community. Whether you're rural, suburban, big city, everybody has construction. Everybody has first responders. Everybody has school buses and utility companies. So, like, this is this is a problem that exists across the country and globally. But because we were coming at it from their side of the table and hearing their voice of just help me get something besides using lights and sirens to tell drivers to move over, tell drivers that I'm there, that, that was... And coming at it from a safety company and not from a technology lens first, that allowed us to say, okay, who cares if it's LTE? And then you look into the BSN, you look into safety messages that are available technically. We say, okay, LTE can't solve all of the safety messages because some require tenth of a second, some require much lower latency. But if we can take two seconds or less, we can process a lot of messages to hit a car in time especially if we can notify a driver, say, 20 seconds ahead before they're going to see a, a first responder on the side of the road or a work zone that's coming up. Two seconds is plenty of time. And so as we started to deploy with first responders as, as our first initial customer, you know, and then we started notifying drivers within navigation apps, um, Waze, Apple Maps, like then it became, oh, this 
this works. It's like, there's plenty of time. There's plenty of notification. We have to do some tricky stuff in the cloud to make that happen. But um, we were able to use LTE. And so, you know, we've, we've never, we're not anti CV2X 5.9. We're never, we're never like anti DSRC. It was more, what can we do today to solve this problem for these folks that are asking for solutions? And quite frankly, literally clamoring for, for two decades for something besides lights and sirens, because their death rate continues to climb because they're struck and killed every single year out on the roads. So it became a, and even for the standards uh, bodies, you know, when we tried to join some of the, the standards committees that, that deal with some of these safety messages, because we were using LTE, I'm not saying we're not allowed, they're open, open groups, but it was very much frowned upon because we were using LTE um, to try to do anything on the standard side. So that's why we sort of, uh, you know, a few years ago, just sort of went back and said, all right, well, why don't we just focus on, you know, continue focusing on the customer, continue focusing on those that we're, we're protecting on, on the roadway and everything else will work itself out over time. And let's not try to force any sort of mandates and let's not try to force particular proprietary silo tech. Instead, let's continue with this two-sided marketplace we built, focus on those that are broadcasting and get those agencies to broadcast themselves on the roadway. And then we knew that if we had enough, that we would eventually find first partners within the automotive side to start accepting those safety messages. I love the the, the concept, and it's something that that we share uh, from uh, Tome now Valtech with with Haas about giving the customer what they want. And I I, I got to give a quick plug. Uh, when I was a young professional uh, at at CES, I think I've done my nineteenth CES a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was on a, a I want to say it was the the, one of the dinners that we have and Joe Clayton, uh, formerly CEO of Dish Networks and uh, CEA Hall of Famer gets on stage and talks about uh, give the customer what they want is like his primary yeah. mantra. And it always stuck with me and like that in that way that, that Joe and anyone that knows him is just is so flamboyant and amazing individual. And uh, I, I always took this as like all, as a tech guy, it's tough because I love the tech and I always think of like, what the, what can the tech do for me? But in business, we have to stay focused on passion for the problems, not being technology, looking for a problem to solve. And the primary disruption that we had at home when we started looking at Bluetooth was for the same reasons, Corey, that, that you guys had. And that's something that we share together is it was like, I get it. Like, you know, you want to have... 5.9, we want to have all these latest and greatest technology pieces. But at the end of the day, if it's not going to be in somebody's pocket or affordable and pow low power to put on a, a bicycle or scooter, in our example, when we were working on this five years ago, it's just not going to be on the road. So like we need these intermediary technologies that we can leverage that to your point, it's not going to solve every problem that everybody wants. But I, I just was not down with waiting seven years for something that might happen and then it wouldn't be inclusive. And for us, like we need to make sure that whatever we're putting on the roadways, and, I, and this is way before the infrastructure bill is even a thought, is like you got to make sure we're inclusive and accessible for for all communities and all people. And and it just I felt like a lot of the driving force was coming from specific technology uh, divisions within companies that were looking to push it. And it just like I feel like the the point was kind of lost along the way. So with, within LTE. I think that like now that you've done it and it, and you you have billions of messages that are out there, like you, you got Stellantis, you know, you guys are, are in all these cars across North America. 
as the has the narrative changed a little bit i mean i can tell you at least from our side from bluetooth it's like we had to push out so many white papers and kind of show that yes we or you're committed in our new hardware development kit at, at tome uh, which you guys are obviously a part of it with haas as well it, it's got uh, bluetooth cv2x and lte because we we kind of want to say look we're, we want to be the swiss when it comes to tech like we're, we're not picking sides here but um like with specifically that lte point is like have you seen that lift is like now that like maybe Solantis was the first one through the wall and now you've got the, the, you got the system running that people are now more open to uh, um, moving off the position that it has to be a, a certain tech in order to be uh, production ready. Definitely. I mean, at CES this year, I mean, so much conversation and, and discussion and demonstrations using LTE. Um, you, you know, people, I, I think the, the, it's not just the tech showing that the great work that we've done, um, you know, in partnership with Stellantis, bringing them being able to bring this out and from 20, you know, vehicles starting in 2018, being able to push this out. One of the biggest incentives and, and kind of validation points isn't just that the tech works and that the messages are displaying and drivers are getting the notifications, but there's, when we think about the end customer to automotive, right, it's you and I who are buying the car on the lot. And so what's happening is now there's there's Facebook groups and there's organic conversation that's happening in blogs where drivers of these vehicles are posting the screenshot going, hey, I just got this message about an emergency vehicle and it passed by. This just started showing up. This is awesome. Did anyone else get this? Is this something that just comes in the vehicle? Because all of a sudden overnight, their vehicle was was had got this functionality and all of a sudden this ad, this connected safety is now displaying in the vehicle. So it's not just us taking the technology and getting it integrated with a company like Stellantis, but then Stellantis having the time to say, well, what are our drivers saying about this? And what is that end use case? And what, how do we keep listening to the driver and understanding, like, is this beneficial to them or not? So I think it's, yes, the realization from the tech side to say, wow, for these use cases, LTE is plenty fast and we can go solve these problems right now today because almost every major car manufacturer has cellular in their in their systems and at least up to a certain year and we can deploy this technology right now and by the way there's positive feedback from those that that are actually driving these vehicles receiving these alerts and the best thing about it is that those first responders that 5 years ago and those wordway workers and the construction and the utility and you know for your groups that leaning on the bicycle on the bikes and the VRUs they're seeing all that work that they did in the belief and the mission that they had to believe in that if we just start broadcasting, we will be able to get this information in those drivers. The, 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 one of the coolest things and uh, pieces of feedback we've got is it was a, um, a fire chief that was driving his Dodge truck and got that notification on his head unit for a tow truck from some other community that he was passing. And it was sort of like, you know, I saw the, I saw the email that came in and it was like, all it was like all three worlds just collided and it was like yes this is this is the ecosystem that has been brought we have those broadcasting we have the end driver as a consumer getting the message and we have the vehicle system displaying and it was like what we've been working so hard for and i know lots in the safety and transportation industry have been trying to do is get these messages in the vehicles and you know it's just from from all all of these things clicking together it was like it all finally hit and like Super, super exciting time this year that, you know, the kickoff the year with something like that is, um, you know, it's pretty extraordinary, I think, for not just our company, but all of us working in this roadway safety space. 
I love that story. And um, for every entrepreneur and product manager that's listening to this, they, they know that feeling you get, that warm feeling when you get that email and you know you hit product market fit. And in our case, and, and for most of uh, our audience, we help somebody stay safe. And, and that's, that's what just gives me goosebumps and why I get up in the morning and do what I do. Um, so uh, as you're talking about like this year, uh, you know, we're, we're two weeks into it and it feels like everyone's been in the bunker the last two and a half years cooking up innovation, at least for those of us that have been dealing with supply chain issues in, in Detroit. So um, thank you for all of you that have been keeping the parts rolling. We, we would not be able to do what we do without you. Thank you so much. So Corey, you and I were at CES and oh my gosh. So just uh, for those of you that, that aren't aware, the, the consumer, formerly known as the Consumer Electronics Show, has expanded quite a bit to tech and automotive has been a strong presence at the show, uh, transcending to Las Vegas every January for about the past 15 years. In fact, uh, Ford launched was the first company to launch a car at CES. And ever since that happened, boom, like every year there's been CES keynotes from auto execs and other vehicles where there's a Caterpillar truck that made me feel like a seven-year-old boy. I mean, I immediately went to seven-year-old Jake mode, that and the Optimus Prime robot. I uh, like I, I was like, oh my God, like I, it, yeah. it made me feel so good to see everybody back. And I'm yeah. proud to say we had over 118,000 attendees. So back in Covisa, the big automotive event, which many of our listeners were at, uh, I mean, we were three deep at the the Tome slash Valtech booth and and showing off our, our Android work and, and just, just massive. So I mean, Corey, you were like I you were twenty feet away from me and I don't even think we saw each other during the Covisa show. Like I think we just like I saw you when you were doing setup and then I was like telling people yeah. how to get to your booth, but there were so many people there, they couldn't even see the car because we were only like maybe thirty, maybe thirty yards, but all right. let's like it was very close by. People were like, Okay, I we're like sending people back and forth and they safety thing. So what was the vibe and trend that you got to CES? One thing to touch on Covace, I mean, that the, we love that event. It, you know, it bring, it's good to see, you know, colleagues and industry folks. Uh, we had the Stellantis Jeep on the floor, and, and there's nothing more powerful than seeing the, you know, Stellantis Jeep on the floor, getting somebody in the seat, having the, you know, being able to experience the notification. And then um, the work that we did with you all on um, AOSP, being able to demonstrate that functionality and just how, available and and quickly this type of technology can get integrated into vehicles. Um, Covesa does an awesome job of bringing those folks together um, into that, into that single room. And I know it's like, it's one of the events, like we, we always love at CES. Then, you know, as, as, as far as, you know, what we saw at CES, you know, there was tons, I felt like of yes, connectivity, obviously, but a lot more, I, I felt like I saw, maybe it was just cause I didn't, I didn't make, get to every single boost, but really using connectivity and practical means, you know, I felt like there was a lot more connected devices that were, especially on the, on the auto side where folks were using LTE as examples of functionality. Now there were some things, you know, around ordering things in the car and, you know, you, you name it at CES, it's, it's going to be there. But, um, you know, it was nice to see that there was really, you know, more, more practical connected device technology out there showing value, safety versus um, things that are, you know, we may only see in the next 20 years. I felt like it's it's kind of coming a little bit closer that these kind of technologies are within reach. Yeah, the, I, I heard that consistently. And uh, I'm, we're on a, a board and with uh, going back to Bob Struble, also on the board of industry leaders. And mm, yeah. um, every year we, we talk as a group about what we saw. And that was very, very consistent amongst different channels, including uh, medical devices and now 
uh, or the, or health wearables, as they call it, but like the like hearing aids. Uh, just and I'm, the reason I'm going to bring this up is like for context is is now hearing aids are an over the counter available product and and things yeah. that years ago CES was about like the future and it's like it was like watching Back to the Future two like whenever yeah. that came out and like we're going to have hoverboards and all this and this CES felt a lot different and especially getting back to the new West Hall where the automotive um, groups were all all located is it wasn't it was really like here and now it wasn't this like fairy tale slideware yeah. world of like in or what sometimes we call innovation theater i'm throwing all the buzzwords i yeah. can for this it, it just really felt like <laughs> hey this is my api here's what's going on we got this thing running here we got AO, android um running here or aosp it, like, yeah. I, that was a, a strong trend at ces was like this is what's actually coming. We're tired of talking about stuff. We're, we're ready to get back to, to building and deploying. Yeah, the best, you know, going back to uh, the, the event at Covesa, the, 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 I loved when people would sit inside that um, Stellantis Jeep and say, oh, so when is this going to be available? It's my favorite question. You know, it's like, it's available. It's already out there. It's already deployed. It's already in vehicle. You know, that's, um, and, and it's usually this, this kind of shock factor, um, you know, that people have. So yeah, we, uh, we had a nice article, uh, in the Detroit news and I got the same question from Detroit news is like, you know, so, okay, when is this going to be shipping? It's like, no, no, it's, it's been shipping. I'm like what? I'm like, yeah, this is, this is, this is real. Well, yeah. And, and you know, um, one, one thing I, I, I left out that I want to make sure I bring up the automotive side is, is obviously critical to receive the alerts, but a, a lot of folks don't know that on the fleet side, you know, when you think of, um, uh, emergency vehicles and waste and sanitation and those kind of vehicles, they've actually been putting LTE broadcast technology on their vehicle standard from the factory for the last like three years. Connected trash trucks. Love so it. yeah, no, yeah, no joke. Like they've been saying, cause yeah. there's a, a unfortunate, you know, number of waste and sanitation workers that get hit walking mm-hmm. behind the trucks, but they, you know, over, you know, close to nine, over 90% of, of say fire trucks um, out there actually come standard from the factory, already broadcasting messages. There's EMS vehicles that come from the factory, waste sanitation and others, uh, construction, mm-hmm. your hard, actually the construction industry was pretty far ahead of broadcasting out messages and notifications before other industries about what's happening actually on the road. So, um, you know, I know a lot of those folks, uh, you guys had an awesome uh, demonstration at, at your booth with some of the um, construction mm-hmm. um, yeah, opportunities PSS. to broadcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with PSS. And, uh, you know, I, I'd like to see a lot more of that at CES because those folks actually began, you know, if I think about how do we get roadside units deployed, like those folks are really the ones that said, hey, we're going to start putting onboard units and RSUs out there. Not the way that we think of them in the sort of ITS transportation world. But essentially, that's what they were doing by adding this connectivity and broadcasting out in equipment on the roads mm-hmm. and, and fleet vehicles to broadcast themselves. So it, it really both of those worlds. But I'm, you know, I'm walking around CES. I'm like, God, I really want to get some of our fire departments and, and uh, utility companies and, and folks that were deployed in to be on the floor at CES next year. I think it would be an awesome showing. Yeah, I, I would. Uh add that I, going back to that comment I made about the seven-year-old version of myself seeing that giant cat truck I mean the tires yeah. were double yeah. double my height which isn't hard I'm pretty short but it, it when I went in there and there's like a, a giant screen um that you stand and look at and I'm expecting this usual like kind of whatever interactive and it turned out it was a VRU safety application and I, I was speaking to a product manager at cat about this and like I was like so impressed that 
like worker safety was a big part of what they're doing. And, and you mentioned, I want to go back to this, this is a really important point is that in order for Haas Alert to have safety cloud with value, and you're going and talking to Stellantis and other vehicle, uh, passenger vehicle companies, you did the hardest thing in the world as a startup. And I don't know if our listeners really appreciate this. And I was telling you before the show, Corey, we're talking about this in the green room that I don't think anybody that I know in safety has actually done this before. You built a two-sided business model, the chicken and egg, the hardest thing, the video game model where you know no one's going to buy the console if there's no games, no one's going to invest in games if there's no users on console. And you did that. You did that across a number of these types of uh, vulnerable road users that are, are, are going. And, and you also had to do this with folks that typically aren't known for their technical savviness. So like speak, I mean, I, I could only imagine, I mean, some of them, the, I mean, I have the utmost respect for our first responders. They do, they make, I mean, they, they have the hardest job in the world between them and teachers. That's, I always say that it's the, it's the absolute hardest thing to do. And trying to ask somebody whose job is to keep people safe to then get up to date on technology that might be coming down the pipe and then convincing someone to deploy said technology uh, on them. I mean, we're not talking about a helmet or for a firefighter. We're not talking about um, uh, like, like a, these are like active technology products and you did that. So first, thank you. That's incredibly hard. And, and now that you have both sides and you're growing automotive distributions, you've accelerated so much on the, the automotive front. I mean, how has this, now that you've left the other side of the two-sided um, business model, how has this helped accelerate the conversation with uh, new uh, municipalities and, and groups on the first responder side? It's difficult. I, w- I wish it was easier. Like I said, when we started, I thought this was going to take two years and we'd be off and, off and running. And it's a difficult problem. And when we first entered the space looking at fire, and by the way, our first city was Grand Rapids Fire Department. So that was our very first customer. Their chief was incredibly innovative. And when we walked in the door, we explained what we're working on and said, you know, could we install this on your vehicle? It's like, yeah, do whatever you want. Grab the fleet manager and said, here you go. You want to join us for lunch? We're going to eat in 20 minutes. Yeah. So, (laughs) um, you know, the, the fire industry has this saying, and the saying is fire service is 200 years of tradition unimpeded by progress. And they like to joke about that. Um, but it's it's something that I don't find to be true. I think what they're looking for is give me something of value and give me something like different than just the same thing repackaged. And you won't find a more like emphatic and open minded and also more challenging uh, customer and partners to have than first responders and roadway workers and those folks out on the road because their their day is so tangible. It's like the house is on fire. We are going in to put it out. Like help me do whatever I need to do to do that. So I saved you know save the people that were that were going out to save that my crew gets back at the end of the day and our trucks are ready to go for the next shift that's going to start. And like th- that's just how they think. And so. Um, yeah, convincing the first was difficult. The second was harder. The third, um, it was incredibly important that Waze actually said, you know what, even though we're crowdsourced, we'll, we'll work with you on, on getting this critical information into our map. Um, so like without them, I mean, really there, there wasn't the other side of the market. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kudos to the work that they they've done and that they continue to do for first responders and, and activities on the road. But, um, yeah, it was, it was incredibly hard, but you know, they, the biggest death and injury rate 
for first responders to combined, uh, roadway workers, utility, towing, uh, school buses, it's getting hit by cars. So you're not convincing them, right? And we're not talking to them about V2X and ITS and innovation and data and all that. Nobody cares. What they care about is I need to get home at the end of the day and I don't want my folks getting struck on the side of the road. So once like you're all in agreement on that fact, then it's just, well, how do we deliver it? And so, yeah, it took a lot of belief. They had to believe in the mission. They had to believe in like the, the vision that, that, that we had. Um, and you think SAE is hard to work with or, or trying to get standards for those of you that have created saying, go try to change the standards in uh, fleet for, um, <laughs> for the fleet industry and first responders. Like, um, it is a whole different ball game and they have their own standards and their own protections and their own groups. Um, you know, so it's, uh, you know, it's not just, you know, if you're all in, you're all in. So it had to be from not just talking to the departments, but then understanding what are the challenges that manufacturers have of emergency vehicles? What are the challenges those standards bodies have? And like, why hasn't this been a thing and understanding their world? And so we always, you know, we, we always try to come at things from, that person's side of the table, not sort of in a confrontational way. It's like, we're all trying to solve the same problem, um, which still doesn't make a two-sided market any easier, but, you know, without having those early adopters and those folks, you know, uh, uh, believing in the beginning from the, the small departments, medium departments, big departments to the standards bodies, to everybody really, you know, all of us having the same mission of, of protecting those out on the roadway, yeah, we wouldn't be where we where we are today. So in, incredibly grateful that they were open-minded uh, enough. And uh, despite not necessarily being the first ones to jump at new technology, saying we've had enough of this, we're sick and tired of this happening. And if somebody can come to us with a solution, we're going to be open-minded and, and, and give it a shot. And, and in this case, it, it worked out. Let's stay on that topic on standards. So, uh, and we will put all these in the show notes and, um, most of our listeners are, are uh, that are at least coming from the, the bike lane, you know, in my world is uh, they're familiar with the basic safety message, the personal safety message, and um, probably, you know, are familiar with some of the, the Android standards of like application development in cars. But what are the standards that you guys are watching? I mean, and I also want to make sure we plug the work zone as well, but, but what's your list? What's, what's yeah. the, what's the Corey slash Haas alert list of standards that are being watched? I mean, we look at standards within NTEA. Um, there's a lot of sub, you know, standard groups under NTEA as a whole. Um, that's important to us for fleet um, across EMS and all sorts of agencies. Um, for EMS, you have um, lots of different standards and specs that that they follow, like Triple K. And there's about four or five different standards just for the industry of EMS, which actually that is even more complicated. As far as standards within or NFPA for fire is criti critically important if you're looking to bring technology into the fire space. There's a lot of committees that, that one should get involved with. I'm happy to talk to anybody. I'm always trying to get more people into NFPA committee. So if you're interested, please, please reach out to me. Uh, yes, there's WZDX for construction. Um, but for us with the BSM is, is really, um, you know, 2945 is something we look at. We have a good back and forth, I think, with some of the committees on basic safety messages mm -hmm. um, because they were developed at a time where they were being developed for, um, you know, for DSRC. And then we sort of evolved into the, how the tech is delivered. Corey, real quick, I want to throw in that they were also developed for 
four-wheeled vehicles that behave like four-wheeled vehicles and um with a message coming off a fire truck that's a four or maybe yeah. more than four-wheel vehicle a, but um it, yeah. it's like that the dynamics of that object moving and the, the deceleration rates acceleration rates turning yeah. radii what lanes they're in are they on the sidewalk bike lane etc those are that's what the designs were for and and, and kudos by the way to the team at crash avoidance metrics partnership camp and the its jpo team and yeah. i mean they paved literally paved the way for this paved the way but yeah. But there, we've got humans on side of roadways working or helping uh, disabled motorists. Sometimes on the side of the road, sometimes in the middle of the road. We've got humans riding bicycles that don't have airbags and crash crumple zones. We've got humans that are in the work zone that you know no one really knows when they come around a corner whether there's actually workers present or not. So like we have these these other use cases that were never. Uh, they were they were designed for to give credit, but they were never tested for the performance requirements. So um, I, I wanted to just put a quick plug in there: is that yeah, like that it, it's it's out there, but but we're at a point in time where we need more of this. So and you're you're talking about that cross reference. So uh, regarding like the SE standards, and um, I, I think the like we we feel the same way. It's like there's like we have a lot of respect for where they came from, but there's a lot of work left to go, and we're ready to roll up our sleeves and get to it. And I, I know you guys have taken a similar approach. Yeah, and and again, it's it, if you're trying to build a business starting with a standard, it's tough because then you're you're who's your who's your customer? You know, it's like who, who's we're getting the value. So I think it's the what's happening now is the I think one of the perfect ways for this to happen is all of these technologies are now solving these use cases and now bringing them to these standards committees and saying, Hey, now that this stuff is deployed, how do we better align with the work that you do as experts within standards committees? I'm not by no means an expert in, in, uh, you know, standards, but now what, what can we do to help like create the standard or modify the standard or what, what can we do now that all these agencies are broadcasting? Like how, how can we help in your mission to make sure that that industry aligns so that it has a clearer path to market and makes it easier and safer for these kind of technologies to roll out. So, um, yeah, I think it's a, a healthy push and pull. That's why, you know, I think hate's a strong word. It's like push and pull of what, what can we do? And I think once something is deployed and then you're, then, then you kind of say, okay, how do we, how do we sort of reframe this? And this is what's happening, you know, quite frankly, in construction, right? Constructions and broadcasting out messages about work zones and, Aero board notifications and all this kind of stuff for a while. And now WZDX comes. I think there's been some twists and turns there as well. But, um, you know, I think that's the best way to do it because now it's it's proven, it's out there, it's being used. You're learning the use cases of what data is important, what data isn't important, um, how the quality of the data, you know, how does it have to be formatted, what kind of attribution. And then you're having a conversation about about standards versus, you know, trying to do the reverse, which is always a really tough thing to do when you're dealing with, um, you know, private enterprise. I think that that's a good example to kind of continue that, that, that line with the, um, WZDX and, um, uh, that's the work zone data exchange. And, and again, kind of back to like the, the TRB meetings, uh, technical, uh, research board meetings and, yeah. um, transportation research board meetings and, and DC, so WZDX is a good example of, and there's still a lot of work to be done there, but it is a federal standard that every state is going to be adopting. And now that we have federal grants, are, are we going to see more consistency from the various uh, cities, RT, regional transit authorities and, and like areas like that now that like we, we can't have as a tech company, we can't have 50 or 
50 plus solutions in, in the US plus whatever solution in Europe. We like how, how is this aligning with standards aligning with federal grants uh, uh, surrounding the, the infrastructure bill and, and other topics? You know, it definitely helps, but it still requires, you know, state DOTs and others to adopt those um, those standards. And look, if it's not in a bit, you know, for construction very specifically, if it's not in a bid spec, the the subcontractors and the constructor, they're not going to put it in. I mean, there's no, there's not a lot of incentive. Um, if, if there is incentive and it can make its way down to those that are actually in the work zones, uh, then you're going to start seeing this stuff show up. So they, that, that's a chicken and egg problem as well. Uh, you can't just set up the standard temporarily fund it through grants and say, okay, you know, we're done. You got to use R and D grant money to get something into it, it out there on the road, but then somebody has to take it private company has to take it and companies and then say, okay, now we're going to commercialize it, productionize it and get it out there, but use that grant funding to, um, you know, stimulate the industry. But, you know, in my opinion, it's been stimulated. Like R and D has been done. The stuff works. It's already out there. Like I actually think taking some of that R and D money and instead utilizing it in, um, you know, uh, a bigger way with public private partnerships to actually implement and deploy in production to help these state agencies get this stuff out mm-hmm. there, get out on the roads is, is, you know, I think it is happening. It's not that it's not happening, but um, instead of just focusing on R and D dollars um, mm-hmm. for, for states to try these things, you know, we're sitting here having a conversation about, and we just talked about it with CS, this, the technology is here yeah. enough with the R and D implement and get it out on the road. And we heard that message consistently at TRB where it's like, if we're if multiple committees are, we're talking mm-hmm. of if we're already have it and the tech is already here, when are we done sort of talking about the, the, the plan and the infrastructure and the, you know, the, the three and five year deployment, when do we just start funding this to actually be in production out on the roads? And, and that's a different mindset when you're thinking of grants and contracts, because now it's, it's not a grant to go try something. Now you're not mm-hmm. talking about R&D grants. You're talking about, okay, well, now how do we get this deployed across the country? Who pays for it? How do they fund it? And more importantly, how do they operationally support it? So uh, with the infrastructure law, yeah, there's tons of, of funding that's coming down. And even for V2X, I mean, look at all the, the funds and grants that are in there for, for V2X um, to help expand on infrastructure, construction, roadway safety. Um, and now it's about using those, using those funds, not for more R&D and experimental, but how do you use those funds so that state agencies actually get something that can be deployed and that then it's, you know, the help offsets a cost with the grant and the deployment. But then there's a business model in place that makes sense that they can actually afford to operationally maintain it and keep it going after, you know, said grant timeline is over. So mm-hmm. um, all, all those things have to, have to be true for us to truly have a production uh, and, and, uh, you know, a deployment that can operationally be, get itself out of R&D and then have it run on its own. Yeah, absolutely agreed. And we're seeing the same thing. And, and you know, in, in other areas of tech, at, at going back to your point about CES, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we were debating um, HDTV standards. And even before that, it was HD DVD versus Blu-ray. <laughs> and at least in that industry, you're talking about uh, production companies and broadcast. It, it was just dealing with two um, industries that already knew how to work together. Uh, so the NAB, yeah. National Association of Broadcaster Industry, and the, and the consumer technology groups. 
with, with this, you've got so many stakeholders, you got municipalities and, and everyone's rushing into companies like ours and saying, Hey, uh, there's, there's, there's a grant that says bike safety, or there's a grant that says construction worker or first responder safety. I would like to buy that please. And, and they don't really know what to do if they're coming from smaller, <laughs> yeah. um, smaller areas. I mean, there are some amazing mm-hmm. DOTs that have been leading the way, but um, that yeah. that's real. So for the next 90 days, what's hot, what are you watching for, for this, this quarter? Uh, I, I mean, definitely the, the, definitely the, uh, uh, the federal grants, um, a lot of this and, and the highway safety plans, I'll say looking at what is going into some of these highway safety plans is, is critically important because it basically gives a glimpse into the future of what's going to be funded and what's going to be there and what we're going to see on our roadways. So it's sometimes not the sexiest topic to talk about of a highway safety plan, but really those folks across, you know, for every state across the country, you know, are right now heads down writing those plans and, and looking at what has been funded. Actually, one of the great things is this, uh, the roadway uh, digital alert technology, not only is in the infrastructure law, but it's also um, has a mandate to NHTSA to focus on this kind of technology in the omnibus bill. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of momentum of roadway safety, whether you're a, a bicycle rider or a pedestrian, you know, some, any other VRU, um, it, you know, first responders, utility, just, you know, general consu- civilians in their vehicles. And now it's, it's up to those highway safety groups to be able to distill that information and say, okay, here's how we're going to, um, have safer roads in our state. And here's the technologies and the plans that we're going to do. So, you know, there's 50 of those. <laughs> so it's a lot to keep track of. It's a lot to, to watch and look at, but, um, you know, for the most part, we, we, you know, we have a lot of respect for the fact they're, they're trying to plan, you know, for, for they sort of had to see into the future of what are we going to do in our state to help reduce these collisions um, and save lives on the roads. And so they're placing those bets, you know, right now today with those plans. So we're, you know, definitely trying to, to do all we can and always looking at the new, not, and by the way, um, if I could just add one more thing, not only just the, um, the grants, but also a lot of the federal contracts that, that are being offered by the different uh, groups within federal agencies are also starting uh, to award contracts for connected roadways. So you're seeing this come from all angles. So it's a super exciting time to be in the space. Aside from, you know, the the folks were, were helping automotive. Now you have, you know, this funding and, and grants and, and um, deployment that's happening. If there's any doubt, uh, all you had to do is be at CES or Covisa or the TRB and you know yeah. it. Like, I, I mean, I, I felt like I, I couldn't, I could have been giving away hundred dollar bills five years ago at Covisa with our, our safety demos and no one, no one would have stayed there too long, but uh, you know, now it's like three deep <laughs> at, at both of our booths on, on the topic. So um, as yeah. we start to wrap up, I always ask all of our guests, uh, what are your favorite podcasts, newsletters, and trade events that uh, keep you in the know that you can share with our, our listeners in the bike line? I guess the newsletters, um, I like the, uh, I think it's just called Transportation Communications Newsletter. It's a really great newsletter that that essentially has all all the links and news that uh, for, for transportation I like. Mm-hmm. There's uh, Lenny's. I like reading that. Just startup, uh, you know, tends to have a pretty good good focus on on various topics. Um, the bike lane. It's all right. Yeah, I like I like that <laughs> newsletter. Um, and also, when I like to nerd out outside of uh, outside of transportation, I love the podcast Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. 
yeah, I kind of can nerd out on space. So those are the things I like. Excellent. Last question. Uh, how can everyone get in touch with you and, and your company? Yes, yeah, so you can get in touch with us um, on Twitter, LinkedIn, um, my email. Uh, you can email me, Corey, C-O-R-Y at Hustler.com. And please follow us on social and make sure you subscribe to our newsletter because I think it's one of the best monthly newsletters you'll, you'll get. Well, we'll put all the links from today's show in the show notes. That was Corey Haas, CEO and co-founder of Haas Alert. I'm your host, Jake Siegel. Thanks again for listening and see you next time in the bike lane.